Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, appropriately leading you through these hard times. Data with your WWE Hell in a Cell 2022 instant analysis. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here just minutes after WWE Hell in a Cell went off the air to break down everything that happened on WWE's latest premium live events, including one of the most insane main events I have probably ever seen in nearly 30 years of watching professional wrestling. We are going to get into all of it right now on this instant analysis. Very quick off the top, a reminder that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast So please stop making me ask. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King Adam Silverstein, vintage Chris Vanini, who will join us in a moment. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also, leave a review. Let everyone know why you listen and subscribe to this show and why they should as well. Hopefully, you mention these instant analysis podcasts because we love doing them and clearly you all love listening to them. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You get to vote in polls, join our pre-show live Twitter spaces, and everything in between. Follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. This was in a show that has left me as speechless as I've ever been at the end of a pay-per-view or premium live event, whatever the hell you want to call it. And we're going to get into it momentarily, but it would not be in addition of a getting over instant analysis, if the Silver King did not open it by cracking a cold one. And we are rocking with a bottle for a change from Lexington Brewing Company, one of my absolute all-time favorite breweries, trying a brand new one, Peanut Butter Stout. This is the company that makes Kentucky Bourbon Barrel Ale and all different types and variations of it. So I'm a huge, huge fan of it. I'm finally gonna get to take a sip. Chris, welcome to the show. I don't know if you're drinking yet. I know you're still coming off of COVID, uh, but if so, what do you have with you? Yes, I, I like Cody Rhodes. I'm fighting through adversity uh, to drink alcohol tonight. Uh, this oh, one so from, from a friend, uh, got it the other day from Austin East Ciders. It's passion fruit cider. Okay. I heard very good things about this. A friend was in town and, and got me one of these, so uh, I already opened it, but it is uh, delicious. So shout out to Austin East Ciders. Bourbon laced peanut butter stout for me. Hard seltzer for you. Just so we know where we're at here. Um, a cider, I guess. No, it's not, not a seltzer. seltzer. It's a okay, cider. Okay, a cider. I... Still a cider. Okay, come on. Come on. What are we doing? Yeah. Um, look, there's also hanging over us a very big conversation to be had about lemon lime Gatorade. We are going to save that for Tuesday's show, but I just need to make something very clear. The Silver King did some research. I got my hands dirty. And uh, Chris, you got it coming for you on Tuesday. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, all we're going to say is uh, I saw some people on Twitter defended me, so I'll have that. Too. A lot of people defended you and a lot of people are, are wrong and are going to get shown up big time by the Silver King on Tuesday show. That's all I'm trying to say. Uh, look, let's not waste more time, right? Let's get right into it. WWE Hell in a Cell instant analysis. We are going to break down every single match on this card, starting with the main event and then going down what were the most important matches, basically, is the way we're going to order it. And we start all of these instant analysis by going over our pre-show grades, a reminder of where we stood coming into the show. And we always wrap them up with our post 
show grades. And very quickly before we begin, just wanted to remind you all that we already have an instant analysis from NXT in your house on our episode list, on our feed, wherever you listen to this podcast. And we have an instant reaction podcast from Friday with CM Punk announcing he would be out indefinitely after breaking multiple bones in his body. So third straight day with an instant analysis, instant reaction pod. That is what we at Getting Over do for you. Chris, the pre-show grades. I was at a B. You were at a B. We pulled the Getting Overheads, our listeners, our followers on Twitter. This is how they came in before the show. 8% A, 57% B, 31% C, and 5% D to F. That to me averages out to about a B minus. So they were less enthusiastic about WWE Hell in a Cell than we were coming into it. Which is fair. Look, look, we we thought this was a better build than Backlash, a better card than Backlash with some more meaningful matches. But at more the same time, it, it yeah, yeah. But at the same time, there's no world title on the line. Uh, it didn't feel like outside of maybe the Hell in a Cell and maybe the Women's Triple Threat that there was a lot of big moments that could happen. Uh, so yeah, I, I can understand why coming into the show, everybody was where we were at. Yeah, I think it's completely fair. So let us just immediately go to the main event of the show, Cody Rhodes versus Seth Rollins, part three, inside hell in a cell. I would love to be able to get right to the match, but we actually have a ton to talk about before we get to what happened Sunday night in Chicago. And here is why, folks. We learned one hour before the show that Cody had a partially torn pectoral muscle that he fully tore off the bone while training ahead of Hell in a Cell. That's how WWE broke it down. Uh, You know, reports from non-WWE media, I guess is the best way to put it, basically confirmed that was true. Didn't necessarily have that he tore it completely off the bone, but, you know, we'll get to it in a moment. It was pretty clear that he tore it completely off the bone. So going into this match, that completely changed my expectations. Because if you have a guy with a completely torn pec, there's absolutely no reason for him to win a match, like especially against the guy, the caliber of Seth Rollins. So, you know, for clarity and transparency for everyone on our WWE Hell in a Cell pre-show live on Twitter spaces, I did change my prediction from Cody to Seth Rollins on that show for this reason. There was a built-in excuse for Cody to take a loss and... If the guy is going to be out of action for a significant period of time, which you have to be uh, with a torn pectoral like that, the win is basically worthless. That's at least how I felt. You could always have Cody take an excused loss, come back, beat Rollins in his first match back. That was the mentality I took going into the match, Chris. What about you? My pick on our pre on our uh, preview last week was that Seth wins. It had nothing to do with the, the news. I just thought... No way Seth loses three in a row. Maybe Cody gets a win back on on Raw or something like that. And then on Sunday, I had when the rumors started trickling out earlier in the day, I'd seen some tweets of people saying, like, I saw the Cody news. And me, as someone who's always trying to avoid spoilers, immediately muted the word Cody uh, on, on, on Twitter for me. So it wouldn't pop up. Then you and I are doing the pre the, the the pre show on Twitter Spaces, and you mentioned the Peck thing. I had missed WWE's announcement because I had it muted on my on my deal, and my thought was, 
Okay, maybe he slightly tore it. They're going to exaggerate it, say he fully tore it because it's wrestling and, and yada, yada, yada. But either way, I was going to be stunned that he would be cleared to wrestle mm-hmm. more than anything with that injury based on what we've seen before. So that was my thought coming in. I had picked up beforehand the injury to Cody going into the match made me think, well, certainly they're going to do Seth because Cody's probably going to be out for a period of time. Right. So it makes sense for Seth to get it. So this was obviously the main event of the show. Rollins came out in a huge cape only to reveal Dusty Rhodes, black and yellow polka dot gear. I laughed my effing ass off. I cackled like Seth Rollins when he revealed that top tier troll stuff from Seth, just like the shield entrance against Roman Reigns. Cody's pyro is at another level. He kept his jacket on for a interesting uh, long period of time. And after he was fully announced before they rang the bell, he took it off to reveal a massive, disgusting blood bruise across his right pectoral and down his arm and underarm. It looked gnarly as hell. You might even call it a horror show. Yeah, it was disgusting is what it was, Bailey. And the crowd was completely affected by it. They were stunned to silence. And if it didn't already feel like a major main event, despite a lack of championship on the line, despite the fact that it was the third time they were fighting, this reveal, it it legitimately sent shockwaves through the crowd, through me at home. And I said, Holy shit, I cannot believe he is doing this. Yeah, honestly, the first handful of minutes of the match, I kind of wasn't really paying attention because I was just absorbing it mentally, seeing everybody tweeting about it and and, and everything going around there. Yeah, any thought that this was maybe a a small injury that they exaggerated for the the sake of wrestling? Uh, Not the case, clearly. No hiding that. Triple H tore his pack at a Saudi show during a match during a match years ago, the Shawn Michaels versus Brothers of Destruction deal. And he like he tweeted a a picture of it and it was, you know, bruised and and, and some, you know, blood and stuff around there. It was nothing compared to what Cody's looked like tonight. That that was on another level. Well, you have to remember there's there's the bruising when it initially happens and then a day, two days later. That's what we saw tonight. Yeah. Do, I mean, do, do we know what day it happened? We don't. We don't. And, okay. and let me interject with just a little bit more information here before we get to the match, because mm-hmm. I saw a lot of people questioning the bruise. I mean, these were not people who followed our Twitter account, but people who, I guess, replied because they saw the hashtag. So they decided to answer. I tweeted some information about what happens when you tear a pectoral. And there were probably 15 people that replied, you're getting worked. It's makeup, whatever. Let me tell you something, okay? This was 100% real. <laughs> like, yeah. like, there's not even a question. This was 100% real what you saw on Sunday night. As for Cody's decision to wrestle, let me put on my white robe and my stethoscope here. When you completely tear a pectoral, what you're basically doing is completely separating a muscle from the humerus bone. At that point you are not going to make it worse. It cannot get worse than that. It's like playing on a torn ACL. You can't make the ACL worse. What you theoretically could do 
is by overcompensating for your other arm or your legs or whatever the case, you could theoretically injure another part of your body. But you're not going to make the injury that you've already sustained worse. It is 100% about pain management. So that is why Cody was medically cleared, maybe with a waiver. I don't exactly know what happens backstage, but it's why he was allowed to wrestle. And it's basically a four-month recovery, no matter mm. what you do. Mm. Was it smart? I mean, I, I, for me, no. Of course no. not. Uh, it was ballsy. Yes. Was it old school as fuck? Yes. I completely respect it. I would probably have cried trying to lift my arm, let alone <laughs> wrestle an entire match without shedding a tear. The guy's insane. I couldn't believe the match happened. And we'll get to the match in a moment. I couldn't believe what happened in the match, given the fact that he wrestled with a torn pectoral that looked the way it did. Yeah, this was a, a shoot in, in more ways than one, as in literally, as in they probably shot him up with a bunch of Toradol or something to get through the pain or something, because that, that was ridiculous. Uh, shout out Brandon Thurston on Twitter, who runs WrestleNomics, had a great tweet. He said, I hope we all learned something tonight. And that is if they say you're not allowed to blade, they can't stop you from bleeding internally. <laughs> and that that's True. basically what we saw. So, yeah, obviously major props to, to Cody for going through that. He's a guy, you know, who's a, a couple years ago pinned a, pinned a guy in AW while he was on fire after he put a guy through a flaming table. And he said that was one of the dumbest things he'd ever done. Uh, I don't know if this one is up there or not, but uh, yeah, that was quite a sight to see going into this match. It really was. So let's get to the match, okay? Uh, Cody quickly hit a disaster kick, then gritted through a Cody cutter, selling the pain. He put Rollins in a figure four, but Rollins reached under the ring to find a toolbox, which I thought was very funny that he pulled that out given the Fiend callback. Uh, and he attacked the injury with a kendo stick before literally driving it into the pack, the, the, the kendo stick. Rollins pounced Cody into the cage, worked him outside of the cage with the steel steps, then he grabbed a polka dot weight belt with visionary written on it and beat Cody's back with it. Uh, Rollins grabbed a table to a big pop from the crowd, which was calling for a table all night. And they chanted, thank you, Rollins, because of it. Very quick pause. When we immediately got disaster kick Cody Cutter figure four, did you think that they were possibly rushing through like the finish of the match just to like put on the match, make people happy and then go home. Because I think one of the reasons why the crowd was so slow to react, in addition to being completely gobsmacked by the sight they had in front of him with Cody, is it felt to me like they were just trying to like do a five minute match to, you know, live up to the booking and then get away from it. And I, I think everyone kind of felt like, oh, I'm about to be disappointed before what came next. Yeah, I think I think it took a bit for everybody to realize and feel and understand that they were going to be settling in for a real full on match, a full match, because yeah. because because how could you with what you just saw? Exactly. Uh, so, OK, Cody tried to counter and powerbomb Rollins into that table, but instead he ate spinning forearms before falling off the table as Rollins a frog splashed himself through it. Rhodes threw the weight belt out of the ring and grabbed a gym bag that had a bull rope in it. Uh, that's a huge callback for the entire Rhodes family. Obviously, he had multiple matches like that in AEW. Uh, he screamed for Rollins to strap himself in, and Rollins actually did it. Cody flipped him over and hit him with the bell for a near fall. 
Rollins then dragged Cody's injured pec uh, into the ring post twice before removing the rope. Rollins set up another table in the corner of the ring. They countered each other until Cody hit crossroads for a 2.5. Rollins snapped Cody's arm and powerbombed him through the table for a 2.9 false finish. The crowd went crazy going, this is awesome. This is where they really, really finally picked up. Uh, Rollins then grabbed a sledgehammer. Cody kicked it out of his hands and reversed a pedigree to hit a pedigree for a 2.9 false finish. Cody then grabbed the sledge and chased Rollins into the ring. Rollins caught him with a stomp for a simple near fall and another this is awesome chant. I thought it should have been a false finish. They didn't really sell it as well as I expected. Uh, Rollins missed a second stomp, but hit crossroads. He rolled through for a second crossroads when Cody instead countered it into crossroads himself. Cody then won a like a tug of war very briefly for the sledge, but he couldn't lift it in the air. Rollins grabbed it, but Cody kicked it out of his hands and hit two crossroads. He then stopped himself before hitting a third, grabbed the sledge, drilled Rollins in the face with it for the clean one, two, three to win with one arm in 25 minutes. Chris, there's all different types of five-star matches. And I was cautious not to give either of their first two matches five stars, though an argument could definitely be made for the second one at WrestleMania Backlash. This was not as technically great as either of those. And the crowd actually wasn't as hot as either of those. But there was zero doubt in my mind at the bell when it rang at the end of the match that I just saw a man with one arm wrestle a five-star match, largely because of the fact that, you know, he did it with one arm. It was probably more like 4.5 without that fact. But I cannot deny what I saw. This was a career defining and maybe best ever in-ring performance from Cody Rhodes. It was as compelling as you could ask to get from a main event match at a pay-per-view premium live event. Adding in the bull rope was extremely smart to give Cody a way to legitimately create offense. Rollins picking the sledgehammer was obviously a great double callback. And we finally got the pedigree and the sledgehammer from Cody, which has been teased as far back as his final few months in AEW. Did I love the booking decision? We'll cover that after this, Chris. I want to give you a chance to speak first. But this was a banger that exceeded my expectations in every possible way. Cody was insane. Rollins proved he is one of the best in the world. I am still, after how long have we been speaking on this podcast already? What, 20 minutes nearly? I am still shocked at what I just saw at Hell in a Cell. Look, what's the what's the best part of wrestling? The, the, the best part of this fake sport that we love is when it's real. And, and, and when there's when when you understand that unexpected things come into play and that's where the true art comes out. A couple years ago, my favorite match of 2020, 2019, whatever year it was, that Worlds Collide match between Undisputed Era and Imperium. And the reason it was that match was because early on, uh, one of the guys in Imperium suffered a real head injury and he had to leave the match and it became a four on three. And that realness part of it fed into the story of one of these teams is naturally the underdog. And how are they going to pull this out? And they did. That's what this was. It was how the heck is Cody Rhodes with essentially one arm going to have 
a real match. This was the type of match. This was the type of performance that people that that don't follow wrestling or only casually follow wrestling. We're talking mm-hmm. about it on Twitter. That, that That is that is a moment. That is what wrestling is about. That is what five star matches are about. It's not about doing the coolest moves. It's about the emotion. It's about the story. It's about the moment. And boy, oh boy, did we have one hell of a moment there. And look, yes, absolute incredible credit to Seth Rollins, because when this match started on early on, and and certainly I'm sure Cody was selling it a bit, but it legitimately felt like he only had one arm. And you're thinking, how the hell are they going to have a good match when we know he only kind of has one arm? How how are they going to pull this into something that we can possibly believe? I have the answer. And and they did. I have the answer for you. And that's why this was in, that's why this was a five star match. The answer uh, to your question: How Seth freaking Rollins? That's how. yes, exactly. And I'm, exactly. I'm not using freaking; I'm saying friggin' Seth mm-hmm. friggin' Rollins. That's how you. Yes. That's how you get a match like this. Exactly, um, dude. One additional note before we move on to the booking, which I think we definitely need to talk about. Cody said after the show uh, in a promo that was just for the Chicago crowd, he was all choked up. By the way, uh, while cutting the promo in the ring, he said it was 100 his decision to wrestle. No one talked him into it, and he would make the same decision 10 times out of 10. Now, knowing the result of the match, right, and and the fact that he was not seriously injured any further and was able to get through it, and the fact that it was incredible, of course you would make the same decision 10 times out of 10. Luckily, the guy did not get hurt any worse than he was previously. Um, But again, I mean, wow. Yeah, and and look, regarding Cody, you know, pushing his way through his... I know there's a lot of talk about there about injury culture and stuff like that. And, and, and you know, if, if an athlete can't perform because of an injury, like they obviously shouldn't be criticized for that more than, you know, you, you don't want everybody having to work through this the way Cody did. But it's it's the fact that he did that you can appreciate that for what it was without having to make it something other than what it is. And what it was was an incredibly gutsy performance from a guy who quit the company made himself an independent star, helped build an entire company. Also, he could kind of really come back and get to the moment that he wanted to get to. And he knows that he's on his path to do that and to potentially deal with this injury, this kind of setback. It's tough. And he wanted to go out there and do that for all the people that have supported him throughout this whole ride to get back to where he is. He is on his way to becoming the mega star that he always thought he could be. Unfortunately, this will be a setback in terms of the timetable, perhaps of that. But this is why Cody Rhodes is, is Cody Rhodes. This is why he's Dusty's kid. And yep. this was a performance that we'll never forget. The, the career defining moment for him was supposed to be winning the WWE championship. And, and it still eventually will be when, when it happens. But this was, I mean, this stepped in front of that, man. This, I've never seen anything like this. I've seen people get never. injured during matches and continue wrestling you know, to the best of their ability, gutting through it and, and, and finishing. I've never seen something like this before. It, it's just, it was enthralling. It, it, it captivated me far more than anything could that was planned in any in, company, WWE, AEW. You, you can't beat reality. This was reality yep. that we saw. Yep. Is it real, real seeping in? That's when wrestling is always at its best. It is. All right. Now, uh, let's talk about the booking <laughs> because I can freeze the match to, to I could do it for another hour. Um, but we got to talk about the booking. So 
Once Cody suffered that injury, I said it already, they absolutely had to change the booking to Rollins winning. I cannot believe they literally allowed a one-armed man to win an ass-kicking contest. Like, that's actually what they did. And not only that, they did it over the number two wrestler in the entire company while allowing Cody to go 3-0 and against him in as many months. There was no reason they could not have done the exact same match with Rollins using the sledgehammer and getting the win. Like, everything exactly the same with that one exception. And then when Cody returns from his injury, he immediately challenges Rollins and beats him, improves the three and one, and gets the monkey off his back. People were tweeting me that Rollins was buried. No, Rollins was not buried. You literally cannot bury Seth. You just can't do it. Uh, But he is the top heel on Raw, and he did just get swept by Cody. Cody is the top face on Raw, and he is now out four months. It's, you know... Possibly a little bit longer, but at least four. Theoretically, they could hold him out to Royal Rumble if they want that to be a big return. But he's out at least four months. I'm extremely interested to see what happens with Rollins on Raw because I honestly have no clue how they rehabilitate him coming out of this unless they just have him go on a run and like win the US championship and make it the number one title on the show or something like that. I don't know how they rehab Seth Rollins after losing to a one-armed Cody. They did not need to do it. It would have been just as good of a match. The reaction would have been exactly the same. That was the one mistake, the person that they chose to win. See, I I disagree on that last point. Look, long-term booking, yes, Seth should have won. Even short-term booking, Seth should have won. But it's not the same moment if Cody doesn't win. And... They, they wanted to go for the moment, and I can't blame them because that's what wrestling is all about. But it does create the situation of what do you do next? And you can you can you can rehab Seth in all kinds of ways. His character over the last year plus has been kind of crazy. You can just send him crazy in a different direction of some kind. He's, he's gone through a couple shifts. You can just say this loss has driven him crazy and, and, and he starts messing up shit backstage, beating up people. You can do it. He, he Again, like you said, he's Seth Rollins. He can get back to the level he needs to be, honestly, very quickly. I think the other I think the larger issue, which we don't need to get into here, is the fact that there are no world titles. Yeah. And the, the U.S. title is on Austin Theory. I was just like. Where is everybody going here? Mm-hmm. And that's what I, I think that's a it's general been the question about Raw. Yeah, it's, that, it's that, been the problem. So I, it's kind of a general issue. Like you're going to have to create, you really are going to have to create some sort of story here for Seth because it's not like, oh, I can just get, you can just get him back in the title picture and he'll be fine. There is no title picture right now. That That's the, that's the issue. So I'm not really sure where Seth goes here. That's the huge question. And I am very interested in Raw on Monday, by the way, because I want to see if Cody comes out and speaks, which I have to assume he will. And I want to see what the hell happens with Rollins. Do they keep him off the show and sell this a little bit? Does he come off and figure out a way to kind of come back from this? I don't know. I don't know what either of them are going to do, and I don't know what the booking is going forward. But I do have one question. After tonight, are you convinced that Cody is officially the guy to dethrone Roman Reigns, because I have to believe, and I tweeted it before the sh- before we started taping, you know that infamous now, uh, in, you know, internet meme with Vince like, 
falling backwards and further backwards in his chair and then having his mind yeah. blown. And it's yeah. a famous gif right now. Um, yeah. That had to be his reaction to the end of this match in Gorilla Position. Like, this is everything Vince McMahon loves. You know what I mean? And it, every, yes. he's he's America. He's, uh, you know, a um, a legacy, you know, a, a third generation or what a second generation, I'm sorry, superstar, a big match, gutted through an injury, got a huge pop. Like, this is what Vince McMahon wants from his top baby face. And coming out of this show, I am now fully of the belief, even though I kind of already kind of believed it before, but I'm now fully of the belief that Cody will be the one to beat Roman Reigns. And, and Cody fully knows that Vince is that guy too. And that's part of the reason I, I'm sure that's part of the reason he did that. Absolutely. How many times have, have, have we seen a, a key guy get injured? And he never gets back to that level. Finn Balor got injured right after winning the universal title, never got it back. So, yep. so like it doesn't take long for Vince to lose faith in people. And he loses faith in people more quickly than anything when it's injuries. And that, you know, it took a long, you know, Daniel Bryan, it took him a long, long, long time to finally get back to, to where he wanted to be. If, if Vince can't trust you to stay healthy, you're done. Mm-hmm. And so Cody had to go out and prove that he could get through this. Um, is Cody the guy to do it? I think he should be. But I think about Drew McIntyre Clash of the Castle, which is mm. already a match that's set up. And so... I think there's a really good chance it happens there. And maybe if the it's Rock one. Is gonna, maybe that's just like the universal title that's on the line. I don't know. Again, this is the problem with having one champion. <laughs> it is. Uh, it it is. It, it, if, if the Rock is going to come back from Mania and you do Roman Rock, you don't need a title for that. You know, you could do it some other way. In But in an ideal world, yes, Cody would be the guy I want to take it off Roman. Well, I'm asking if he will be. If you believe Vince now has him pegged for that role. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say it's McIntyre. Okay. Understood. Uh, one other note before I forget and before we move on. Major, major shout out to Jimmy Smith and even more than Jimmy Smith, Corey Graves on commentary for that main event. He was absolutely incredible. Maybe the single best match he's called in his entire career, possibly with an exception of some of the stuff he did in NXT late in his NXT career. But Corey Graves was on point throughout that entire match. Seriously, go back, watch the match again, and pay close attention to Corey Graves. He sold the gruesomeness, the the shock value of seeing Cody do what he was doing, and just the moment, as well as any color commentator could. It was fantastic stuff from Corey Graves. Yep, absolutely, totally. Okay. That was nearly a half hour on the main event of a B-level pay-per-view. Believe it or not, we have a lot more to talk about. Six more matches. We're going to break them all down. We're going to give you our post-show grades. We are nowhere near done yet with this WWE Hell in a Cell instant analysis. Let's move to what was the co-main event in terms of booking for the show. The Raw Women's Championship, Bianca Belair against Asuka and Becky Lynch in a triple threat match. This opened the show, and at first, I was like, man, this maybe should have main evented, given the fact that we knew about Cody's injury. I'm glad this opened the show. It was in the appropriate spot, given what happened at the end. Uh, Belair switched up her gear a little bit, by the way. Uh, Asuka countered a KOD into a brief armbar, with Bianca lifting her for a buckle bomb. Lynch then flipped Asuka off the top rope into Belair and threw Asuka into the post. 
Belair accidentally speared Asuka off the apron, with Lynch hitting a draping leg drop for a 2.5. She had a Bexploder on Bianca, then a regular flying leg drop for a broken fall. Asuka killed Lynch with spinning back fists and the hip attack for another near fall. Belair broke up a disarmor. Lynch escaped the KOD. Bianca did a high-stepping vertical suplex in a really fun spot. Lynch grabbed her braid, but Belair used it to fling her into the corner, then hit a spine buster on Lynch and a glam slam on Asuka into Lynch on the ground, plus a double springboard moonsault for a double near fall. The crowd was on absolute fire for this. Asuka caught a Belair moonsault with a codebreaker, then hit another on Lynch, plus a double hip attack for two near falls. Then she did a sick double ankle lock. They got another big pop. Belair countered disarm her by lifting Lynch with one shoulder into a KOD, but Becky escaped. Lynch kicked out of an inside cradle, then hit a manhandle slam on Belair with Asuka breaking the fall. Lynch avoided a hip attack and put disarm her on Asuka through the ropes. Belair tried for a KOD on the apron, but got knocked off. Asuka and Lynch countered multiple pins until the Asuka lock was put into Becky twice. There was a minor botch with Belair flying out of nowhere. I think she was supposed to hit a 450 to break up the fall, but she missed it and hurt her hand. Then she hit Asuka with a glam slam into the top turnbuckle. Belair went for KOD when Lynch threw her out of the ring and hit the manhandle slam, but Belair tossed her away to pin Asuka and retain the title in 19 minutes. What an insane, insane triple threat to open the show. This could have easily been the main event of most pay-per-views, let alone B-level shows. Belair retaining, it was obviously the right booking. I do wish Lynch was the one who took the fall, given she's the one who is supposed to be at rock bottom, as we've talked about. And Asuka just came back from injury like a month and a half ago. They did protect Asuka with the equivalent of her taking two finishers. Outside of that one late mistake, which I'm not even sure was Belair's fault. I think the two women rotated too far under the ropes and she wasn't able to hit it. Other than that, this was a perfect match in terms of execution. It was nearly a 20-minute sprint with nonstop action. I'm really stuck with my grade. I I definitely need to watch it again. I'm making that very clear. I was between a 4.5A and a 4.75A+. Another few minutes, a couple better false finishes and a title change, and this is a five-star match. So I'm right in between. I'm like probably a 96 or a 97 out of 100. This was really as good as it possibly could be. Yeah, I, I was thinking about 4.5. And, and honestly, I thought this was one of the best women's matches I've ever seen. It was great. But like it, it's it's not it's not going to be remembered like that in the end because it was an opener on a B-level pay-per-view and it was there wasn't a moment like a Bailey Sasha type of thing. Mm-hmm. But this was just non-stop folks pulling out moves out of nowhere good false finishes and in good situations. All three of them can go like hell and they really got to show off. Uh, Asuka is so much fun when she's with people who can go with her. And that's what both of these women can do. And we really get to see her at her best. Bianca continues to look like an absolute stud when you just let her get in the ring and kick absolute ass. Like more, again, more than anything she can do to get over, to stay over, to be a star is to just put on these banger matches and look like an absolute stud um i i'm also surprised Asuka took the fall she's taken now three falls in three weeks i think um but it's Asuka, 
and kind of like Seth Rollins, it doesn't I think matter. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't really matter. And I think everybody understands that. I think yep. it's just kind of generally understood with her, be, partially because she's not uh, a character who has to hit these lows and come back from these highs. She's just a dominant force, and that's always what she's been. So ultimately, it's not the end. I, but I do agree it would have been a better story to have Becky Lynch kind of hitting rock bottom a bit, and instead they yep. didn't do that. So look, no, no title change at the end, so no, no lasting moment. But from start to finish, this was unbelievable match. And again, just technically, I think one of the most exciting wrestling, one of the most exciting women's matches, uh, at least in WWE history. What's crazy is you have Asuka, who is among the goats. You know, I don't the Mount Rushmore of top five women's wrestlers of all time. She's probably there. OK, let's just be honest. Uh, you have Becky Lynch, who just a couple of years ago was the not only the number one woman in WWE, the number one wrestler, the number one superstar in WWE. And then you have Bianca Belair, who's compared to the other two, the neophyte in the in the trio. And she's the one getting the biggest pops and the, and the loudest ovations over mm-hmm. Becky Lynch. Granted, she's a heel and Asuka. It, this match, you can't ask for more. Of course, no. yes. The one botch not being a botch. Sure. Not. Um, and it wasn't even that much of a botch. It, it was, like, it yeah, it was minor. Worked. It, it was minor. Worked. It was very minor. Uh, that, you know, a situation where if you did the exact same match, but like Lynch was champion and Belair won the title, that would have gotten an even greater crowd reaction. And, yeah. and that would have popped it up to a no doubt A+. plus. You know, a couple more false finishes that were not broken falls, but actually kickouts. There's these little things that can kind of take it over the top, but you're nitpicking. Like this, this was just incredible. It was as good of a women's match. It wasn't the best one I've ever seen, but it was as good as my top, you know, 10 or 15 in that range that I've ever seen. I think it was along the lines of the Becky Lynn, Charlotte Flair, Oscar. TLC triple threat. I think the TLC match was a little bit better than this. I'd really have to go back and, and watch it, but that mm-hmm. had the element of weapons and extra mm-hmm. stuff. This was a triple threat match with no DQ. Guess what? They didn't use any weapons. I loved that. I love that they didn't result to it just because they could have. This was awesome. A, a, a great, great opener. And between this and the main event, uh, the Hell in a Cell match, Chris, we went into the show saying, man, there's no world title, no Roman Reigns. The undisputed tag team championships aren't being defended. What exactly is the show? And WWE showed us, I'm not going to put the cart before the horse. We'll talk about final grades at the end. But they showed us they can put a hell of a pay-per-view on with just two major matches and only one of them being a title match. And this goes to show when you talk about the Hell in a Cell match with Cody and Seth, what I've been saying for years on this podcast and every podcast that I've ever been on, you do not need to have championships to have major matches. You don't have to give Brock Lesnar the title. You don't have to give Goldberg the title. They can fight at any time in major matches and it can still mean a shitload. And I think that Hell in a Cell match proved it and this women's women's match proved that it. the women, they've done it many times before, they can carry a card from a championship perspective. Yeah, and honestly, when, the, when this match ended, I, I thought to myself, WWE's women's division might be better than its men's division overall. Like, like, like <laughs> it's really good. They, they, yeah. they don't they don't get the time, and there's some bad stuff at the bottom. There's not as much depth, but 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 uh, but on a per capita basis, on a per match basis, the women might be even better. And it was just it was also striking 
you know, coming a week after double or nothing. Although I know we got three women's matches on that card, but you, you, you realize just how far ahead WWE's women's division is from basically everybody when you see a match like this. I would rather have one women's match like this than three women's match. I mean, you can't even compare it. The totality right. of those three matches didn't compare to this one. The best moves. Right. If you took the best moves from all three of those AEW women's matches, it wouldn't even come half as close as the right. quality of this match, as far as I'm concerned. Yep. At least. All right. Uh, one more thing uh, in terms of what comes next. I really hope WWE goes with Lynch and Asuka in a non-title feud at Money in the Bank. I don't want to see them in the Money in the Bank match. I don't want to see them challenging Belair. She can find another opponent or maybe even not defend the title. I'm totally okay with that if they skip a pay-per-view or premium whatever live event without Belair defending. I have a feeling that's what was planned for Hell in a Cell. We were going to get Asuka and Lynch with Belair obviously fighting Naomi before that whole shit happened. I just don't want to miss out on Lynch-Asuka in a singles match because we saw it. Them head-to-head in this match, we've seen it numerous times before. They are the perfect match. You have Sasha Banks and Bayley. They're the perfect match. And you have Becky Lynch and Asuka. They're just perfect together. And I badly want that one-on-one. I, I do too, but I also think they're going to want star power in that Money in the Bank match. They typically do, you know, and you, you don't typically have a uh, Money in the Bank full of mid-carters. They, they try to throw a couple stars in there. And I got a feeling they may throw Becky and Asuka in there, even if you don't want them to. Yeah, it'd be interesting. All right, um, let's move to the six man intergender uh, match. I guess it's technically it's not intergender mixed six person mixed tag team match. AJ Styles, Finn Balor and Liv Morgan against Judgment Day. Club Liv all wore Bullet Club black and white, which was a nice touch. Rhea Ripley, I thought she switched up her gear going with shorts yeah. instead of her pants, but she tweeted after the show that her gear was lost and she utilized what she had. She looked great. Oh. I, I, she could totally yeah. go with that as far as I'm concerned. I, I legit wrote it down. I love her new gear. <laughs> so. Yeah, that wasn't the plan. So, hey, R- Rhea, go with it. Cool. Uh, the women were set to start the match, but instead there was an all-out brawl. The guys flung Morgan into Ripley for a great hurricanrana. Ripley then delivered a sick headbutt, and Morgan hit a missile dropkick, forcing a tag. Styles challenged Edge, but Damian Priest tagged him. Balor soon got singled out. He and Priest had a good sequence with Balor hitting his signatures for a before a Styles hot tag. Styles was killing Edge until Ripley distracted, but he took out Priest with a knee and hit phenomenal forearm cold on Edge with Priest breaking the fall. Morgan countered a powerbomb into a Huracarana for a near fall, then got another one on a crucifix driver. Ripley showed off her power, uh, wrenching Liv into a vertical suplex. Then she escaped Riptide, Liv did, uh, tagged Balor and hit a DDT on Ripley before all six brawled with the faces doing three pendulum splashes outside for a really, really big pop. Styles, I don't know who he hit. I think he hit Rhea Ripley's shoe. He got busted open hard way right at his hairline. Blood splattered outside the ring. His face was covered. It was really nasty. There were three people, by the way, who bled at Hell in a Cell, and none of them were Cody Rhodes. (laughs) All of them were Hardway, and none of them were Cody Rhodes. It was incredible. Um, Ripley knocked Balor down on a coup de gras. Then he ate South of Heaven. Styles took Priest out with a phenomenal forearm before Edge threw him into the post. Balor countered the spear with an inside cradle for a near fall. Then he hit Sling Blade. And as he went for a coup de gras, Ripley stood in front of him between him and Edge, but Liv jumped on her back. Edge rolled away from the coup de gras and immediately hit the spear on Balor for the one, two, three in 16 minutes. This was a perfectly booked match 
with a perfectly booked finish. I suspected we'd get interference and a new Judgment Day member, but it was even better that they won clean by taking advantage of the mixed tag rules. I loved Balor selling the hell out of the spear all the way through the post-match until WWE cut away. I also loved that Liv, Liv Morgan, underdog Liv Morgan, was the MVP of this match. Mm-hmm. Consider, again, she was the MVP of a match that included Edge, AJ Styles, Finn Balor, and Rhea Ripley. That is amazing. There was a great fake out finishes, tons of fun with all six wrestlers getting to shine. I'm really not sure what else you could want here. I went 4.25 stars and an A. Yeah, I was right around there about, about four stars. This was exactly what it needed to be. The Going back to the entrance, you know, the Judgment Day keeps getting compared to House of Black for obvious reasons. One thing House of Black clearly had over them was entrance. I think the Judgment Day might have a better entrance now. That bit where they all come out one by one out of the shadow. It's awesome. They're walking down and the Tron's got the wings and the way the camera sits sets. It looks like Edge or Rhea, whoever has big set of wings. That is so freaking cool. They, they, they really finally nailed this aesthetic after taking a while to figure it out. Like I said, I, I loved Rhea's new look. I don't know if she's going to keep it or not. Uh, and, and yeah, the match was just a lot of fun. Six person intergender. You know, it, it, it gets... Uh, chaotic at times but it always felt like they were sticking with one story that was going on in the match i love how it finishes with Rhea, kind of technically willing to sacrifice herself to protect edge like it fits the story of what they're uh, of their Absolutely. his disciples Rhea's gonna willing to stand in there uh and, and potentially have aj or have uh, finn balor do something but he doesn't obviously and you know that whole setup so this was great and as it was going on i thought to myself yeah I kind of don't want them to end this with another person because this is just like a really good match and it deserves like a good finish and not a a continuation of what they kept doing. So this was pleasantly surprising, even even more uh, than I thought. And yeah, this was just straight up great. Yeah, I am curious what's going to happen with all of them. We'll find out Monday what direction they go. You know, this is a long show. We don't necessarily need to speculate on that now, but I am curious where it goes when Judgment Day, not only do they win, they win completely clean. It was totally legitimate. Uh, United States Championship match. Theory defending against Mustafa Ali. This was the penultimate match on the show. Ali got a hometown entrance with Chicago Bulls colored shirt and a huge pop. He flew all over the place early, hitting a great high-risk crossbody outside. Theory lifted Ali into the post, then threw him off the top rope outside. Then Theory hit his seated springboard Spanish fly for a couple near falls. Ali hit a big tornado DDT, but Theory knocked him off the top rope. Ali escaped A-Town down and locked him in the STF with Theory grabbing the ropes. Ali then hit an awesome draping DDT off a tilt-a-whirl, but he completely missed a 450 splash. Ali sold an injured knee. Theory chopped it out from under him, and then he hit A-Town down to retain the title in 10 minutes. This was an extremely well-wrestled match. Uh, As soon as I saw it in the popcorn match spot, it was very obvious we were going to get a title retention. That was unfortunate given the reaction to a title win could have made Ali. It could have gotten him completely over. But as we said on the Ultimate Preview, even though I badly wanted the title change, predicted it, thought they should do it, I didn't really have an expectation that it would actually happen. I'd even have been okay with Ali winning it and keeping it for like three weeks and losing it back to Theory on Raw. 
but the right guy won for what WWE wants, and Theory is no slouch. I saw people upset that Ali was put in this position and lost. Well, there's a couple things. One, they didn't build the storyline for shit. So it's not like they built up this huge moment and then had him lose. They gave us a terrible storyline over the last six weeks, seven weeks, whatever it was, a really shitty storyline. And yeah, they gave him a match in his hometown. He got to show out. He looked really good in defeat. He was the star of the match. But ultimately, they kept the title on the guy they want to keep the title on. And I'm not going to, you know, drag them for that. They worked me with the 450 spot before they zoomed in too close. Ali is a really high ceiling. I went 3.75 stars and a B plus. It was just super entertaining. I hope WWE realizes the type of reaction Ali can get and takes advantage of it. But, you know, I can't hold out too much hope because they've proven time and time again that they're just not going to. I said this on the pre-show too, but look, it's it's a, a wrestler in their hometown. Unless it's Bianca Belair, they're probably going to lose. And and we already do the lack of story and lack of everything. This was obviously going to be an Austin Theory win. But you're right. They got more than 10 minutes. Ali got to look really impressive, got to do got a lot of offense in, you know, basically lost because his his 450 didn't work. He really showed that he deserves to get more of a push. And I, I think that's the takeaway coming out of this match is that, hey, on this stage, he really delivered. And you hope that the company will realize that and, and, and continue to do more forward. Uh, you know, would have loved to have a better build to this. Would have loved to have a build worthy of an Ali win for this. But they haven't done that yet. They still have not. They haven't done that with Theory at all in any of his feuds yet. He He's still surface level as a character. We, we got to get deeper into him with some stories if this U.S. title run is going to mean anything but this was a good step forward for everybody involved it was it was a really fun match and uh you know you hope the people in the back see that ali and money in the bank yes or no in the match not winning it, it. in the match y- yes yes frankly because who the hell else is going to be in that match now that cody's not going to be in it so uh well run yes. this plenty uh, who the hell there's plenty of people on raw to be in that match there's a million I mean, people on Raw. Raw is the one brand that has no problem putting people in that match. Yeah, kind they of. Do, eight, do they do eight people now? Is that what they do? Well, I guess you got to. I guess you got to do. Yeah, they do. But I guess you got to do Raw and SmackDown in there. I was thinking you, you got to have somebody who can do some big flying spots. Oh, Ricochet's in that match for sure. Yeah, because he's probably they losing the inter, he's probably losing the Intercontinental belt next week. So uh, right. Uh, I'm still. I'm gonna say yeah, but that might be optimistic. Okay, I hope he is. Let's let, we're, we're putting the good vibes out there. Ollie yeah. in the Money in the Bank match. Uh, we'll, let's move on to the handicap match. Bobby Lashley against Omas and MVP. Cedric Alexander backstage tried to share a plan, but MVP cut him off saying he's had too many chances. The Hurt Business is done forever. It would never, ever come back. And he needs to just get lost. That just made me think. It's when, As soon as he said that, I'm like, it's definitely coming back with Lashley, Alexander, and Shelton Benjamin. <laughs> Like, that was the first thing I thought. Uh, there was also a diss track from MVP. It was first pro- posted on social media. And to my utter surprise and shock, they not only aired it on the kickoff show, but they aired it on the pay-per-view as well. There's so many times yeah. WWE creates social media-only things that are better than what we get on the product. And they never air it on the product. They actually did it here. It was fantastic. The rap wasn't great. 
but he had a couple really, really good lines about Lana and ECW that I enjoyed. Yes, that, that was really fun. I'm, I'm glad they showed it on the show. And as for the Cedric Alexander bit, my, my takeaway of MVP saying that the Herd Business is dead was a message to the fans to stop <laughs> saying, hey, we want the Herd Business back. It felt like this was a straight up saying, folks, no, it's not happening. Stop talking about it. Okay. That was my read on it. But it's interesting. You know. Well, it's interesting given what happened, but it's interesting that, that we had different yeah. takes on it. As far as the match, uh, Lashley got baited by MVP and uh, dominated by Omos early. He knocked MVP off the apron and got up on Omos briefly before eating snake eyes and corner splashes from Omos plus MVP's running boot. Omos then shoulder tackled Lashley through the barricade in one of the most powerful versions of that move that I can remember. Like the barricade exploded upon impact. Uh, Lashley got back in the ring at 9.5. He escaped MVP, knocked Omos off the apron, hit a huge spear on MVP in a really hot two-second sequence. Cedric attacked Omos when he had the claw on Lashley's head. That left an opening for Lashley to run the ropes and hit a spear on Omos. MVP then missed another running boot as Lashley grabbed him, put him in the hurt lock, and won in eight minutes to a massive pop from the crowd. While celebrating, Lashley grabbed the WWE Championship out of the crowd from a fan and held it high, walked up and down like one side of the ring, and then gave it back to the fan. Uh, This was a predictable finish given the pre-match segment, but there's no denying it was hot and the crowd loved it. They also went bonkers for the finish with a huge pop for Lashley. This was everything it needed to be. I was a little confused here because handicap matches are contested under tag team rules, which to me, I think historically means it is not no disqualification to the best of my knowledge. So that means Alexander's interference should have won the match for the heels. So that was a logic gap as far as I was concerned. It is not a triple threat. It is not no DQ. That should have been a disqualification. But despite that, this was easily the best match of the series between all these guys. So I'm going to go with three stars and a B minus. It may have even been a B without the telegraphing and without Cedric. I also loved Lashley grabbing the title from the fan. It wasn't one of the fake ones. It was like, you know, one of the expensive duplicate championships. It was a great look for fans at home. And it was an awesome moment for the fan himself in the crowd. Very, very cool stuff. Yeah. So with the Cedric thing, you're right. Although I know sometimes there is some some referee discretion uh, on these things, and maybe they didn't think Cedric Alexander was enough of a threat for it to end the match, especially maybe. given the unique setup of the. I, I'm just I'm just talking it out to try to make an excuse. But, that would be the yeah. William Regal. That would be the William Regal explanation, which is a yeah, positive, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So, um, the, yeah, this was fun. Like, like, didn't really know what to expect. Um, it, it ended up being a lot of fun between the two. The MVP dynamic definitely added a lot more than just Omas and Bobby Lashley. And it was fun. It, it was definitely worth the time. Didn't didn't drag for that much. I think it was the shortest match. Yeah, 825 shortest match of the show, which makes sense. And it was good. And so you mentioned the stuff with, with the title. They so so Lashley wins and they and they let it linger on him for a while. And they they did the crowds cheering him and they're showing the crowd cheering him. He's doing all these things. They're showing you and telling you a story. 
just by just by keeping the camera on him the same way they did the same thing with Judgment Day uh, when they when they beat Finn Balor at the end. You've got to let these moments at the end breathe for them to have an effect. And that specifically is one of my biggest criticisms of AEW. And what we saw at Double or Nothing is that matches would end. You'd have a big thing and then you're just on to the next one. And the, the, nothing gets to breathe. Nothing gets to feel impactful. You got to let it sit there for a minute. The Lashley deal, the end of the Judgment Day, it felt bigger because we stayed with Lashley. Similar to when <coughs> a sports team wins a championship and you don't immediately cut to the studio. You, you stay at the stadium. Mm-hmm. You stay. You, you watch the fans react. You watch the team react. You let it breathe for a little bit. It feels like a bigger deal when you do that. And I thought that was a very good production decision by WWE that makes Bobby Lashley now feel like, hey, with Cody Rhodes out, maybe Bobby Lashley is going to get back in this picture now. They made him right back into a main eventer with that. I totally agree. It was yeah, perfect. Yep, exactly. Absolutely perfect. Uh, all right, let's move on. Two more matches left. Kevin Owens against Ezekiel. Zeke caught Owens blind with a knee after the bell, then landed a huge elbow drop for a 2.8 just one minute into the match. I will admit they got me here. I was like, are they really yeah. going to squash Kevin Owens? <laughs> like, I-, I thought there was a chance that that's what was going to happen. Uh, Owens went on a run from there with a ton of offense, including a moonsault off the middle rope for a near fall. As Zeke got busted open hard way, Owens hit a tornado DDT, but Zeke got knees up on a senton bomb and hit a spine buster for a near fall. Owens caught him with a pop-up sit-down powerbomb for a near fall. I don't think I've ever seen him do that move. KO super kicked Zeke off the ropes and hit a cannonball, screaming Elias, and then hitting the stunner for a clean one, two, three in 10 minutes. Now, this probably should have been like a raw main event, but for a long-running feud to end on a B-level show, it was appropriate as an undercard match. Most importantly, it was booked perfectly with Owens winning squeaky clean. This is what I said on the Ultimate Preview. I said it again on the pre-show. Heels need to be able to beat and dominate guys that are legitimately under them without bullshit. And we got that here. You know, Owens was coming off the Steve Austin stuff. He's been on the tail end of this feud. Was Zeke getting up on him a lot of the time? The guy is a main eventer in WWE. He's at least upper mid-card slash main event caliber. And you need him to win matches like this. So the booking was perfect. I went 3.25 stars and a B for the match. Uh, The ceiling wasn't much higher than that. So I feel like they hit the ceiling. Yeah, it it was exactly what it needed to be. But not only did did Kevin Owens win clean in the way he needed to, but Ezekiel got to look pretty good. I, I, I mean, he got offense in. The jumping knee looks great. The elbow drop looks great. You know, he he looks like a formidable opponent, even if he lost. So the, you know, there's reason to pay attention to him moving forward in, in terms of his, his wrestling ability. Kevin Owens was just better. And, and I think they made the comment that it was Ezekiel's first pay-per-view match. So, you know, you can lean into that a little bit uh, as well. But yeah, they, they've told the story over two months. We enjoyed the story. It was fun. Kevin Owens can and should move on to bigger and better things. What those bigger and better things are, again, I don't really know at this point. But uh, yeah, this was this was exactly what it needed to be, and and I I, I trust Elias slash Ezekiel's ability to keep this gimmick going and adjust it as needed moving forward because he he just he gets to, he gets everything over 
so we'll have to see what that is. We certainly thought those bigger and better things would probably be a Cody feud. <laughs> that that yeah. seemed like it was the direction that they were going. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not happening now. But to your point that you just said, this was Zeke's, uh, Zeke slash Elias. This was his best match in WWE by a pretty decent margin, as far as I'm concerned. I do wonder if Zeke's failures like lead to the return of Elias or if they stick with this or even if they go back and forth somehow in like a three faces of Foley type of deal. Um, one more quick thing before we get out. There was a really, really fun, he's Elias, no, he's not, chant that happened during the match. Uh, the Chicago crowd, you know, we're not going to have another chance to say it. It was incredible. Helena Cell was yep. sold out. The crowd was on fire all show to the point that I actually had a couple people when I was like praising chants from the crowd. I had two people tweet me, oh, WWE's uh, inserting audio. It's it's fake. I, no, that's what a real crowd sounds like. Like the we yeah. want tables chants and stuff. That was all real. The crowd was legitimately loud. Like just because there's a loud crowd at a WWE show doesn't mean they're sweetening it. In fact, WWE has actually cut back somewhat significantly, I would say, on the piped in audio. I'm not saying they stopped and they still do it in certain circumstances, like with Lacey Evans or they you know, they do it in very obvious spots that very we're not obvious really spots. cheer. Yeah, exactly. places that you're they they don't change a boo to a cheer. They change now anymore. They change a nothing into a cheer. Or a boo. Yes, exactly. In in yeah. spots where the crowd is not reacting at all, that they want a reaction because they're trying to get someone over as a heel or a face or whatever the case, that is where they insert it now. It's not consistently all show like it like it had been. Um, but it definitely did not happen on this show, at least no. in no spots that I could tell. So the people that were tweeting me that, like, I don't know what you're talking about. This crowd was hot as hell. This is what you want a wrestling crowd to be like. Yeah, look, it's Chicago. Like, like uh, Chicago sold out a Hell in a Cell show. It was going to be a good crowd. Like, there was there was no circumstances where it, it wasn't going to be. We I made the comment beforehand that I, I was honestly surprised the card wasn't as good because it was Chicago, and I thought they'd want to run a better show uh, because of the crowd. Turns out they did run a great show. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, no, that's WWE. The fact that they do the fake crowd noise at all is really stupid and we hate it. But Absolutely. it's also very obvious when they do it. And just it's become a, it's it just it became a thing after the Thunderdome of like it, it, it's just like a conspiracy now where all WWE crowd noise is fake because people want to think that. This right. was not the case tonight for obvious reasons. It was a great show. Like, like there, there was no re- there was no reason to do fake crowd noise because it's a Chicago crowd into what was a really good show. And by the way, WWE is not the only company that does that because if you ever watch any taped AEW show or Rampage or Battle of the Belts or something like that, they sweeten the crowd as well. And it's blatantly obvious on the AEW shows. So it's not a WWE only thing. But more importantly than that, it did not happen here. And even if it did, like, I couldn't even tell you where it happened. That's how good the crowd yeah. was all show. And that's that's mm-hmm. the important part. And then lastly, we had Madcap Moss against Happy Corbin in a no holds barred match. This was the lone SmackDown match on the entire show. But we can't get right to it. We got to talk about how it's set up. So let's go down what happened on SmackDown. Uh, Madcap Moss returned. He jumped out of an ambulance with a brand new look, and he looked great. He said the old Madcap Moss was buried, and he called out Happy Corbin to come fight him. Corbin said Moss was throwing away his career. Adam Pierce made a match. This went to commercial, came back. 
Corbin didn't want to fight. The match started and then it ended in 30 seconds after Moss used the chair for disqualification. Corbin took a couple chair shots. Moss wrapped the chair around his neck for retribution and grabbed the steel steps as officials ran in to stop him. Moss was incensed. And by the way, I get that he was incensed because guess what? The referees didn't run in to stop Corbin from doing that to him, but because mm-hmm. he's a baby face, they stop him from attacking Corbin. Made zero sense, but whatever. They needed to push it along. Uh, the crowd was on fire on SmackDown for this. Pierce later made the No Holds Bar match for Hell in a Cell. And my thought was, look, you cannot deny crowd reaction. At the same time, making us wait through a commercial break for a match and have it end 30 seconds later was absurd, but it did in the moment generate a ton of buzz. Yeah, no, it was it was properly intense. It's the kind of thing you wanted out of this, the kind of thing you wanted out of Corbin for a long time, the kind of thing you didn't think they would give us. The, 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 The Moss return in the ambulance was cool. Part of me kind of wish he had like black suspenders on just because he had made the comment a couple weeks ago that he was thinking about making championship suspenders. And so I, it, mm. it was part of, he, he looked a little bit generic, just black shorts and everything, but the dude is ripped as hell and, and looks great. So uh, yeah, this was good. It actually surprisingly got me kind of excited for a Corbin Moss match. It was like, this was the one where it's like, okay, like, I can understand this. I, I I feel this story now after months and months of of of, of not that. So uh, credit to uh, a, a good last second build. Shouldn't it have been an ambulance match though? I mean, mm-hmm. Moss got stretchered out by Corbin's attack into an ambulance. Then he comes back out of an ambulance, and they just do a no hold bar, no holds barred match. Yeah, would have been better. I, I'm glad I'm glad it was something instead of just a match. Right. Ambulance would have been better. No holds barred still properly. It, it was a worthy stipulation, so at least it was something. All right. Now, I know we need to get to the premium live event match. I get it. But I cannot go on without saying this. I need to I need to say it. I've been begging for Moss to get a brand new gimmick for months. And WWE goes ahead and gives him new gear. They give him new music. And I think they even gave him a new Titan Tron. Yet they are not only still calling him Madcap Moss, but in some cases, they even drop Moss and are just calling him fucking Madcap. Did they forget why his name was Madcap? Madcap means except eccentric, foolish, crazy. The gimmick is changed So why the fuck is he still saddled with Madcap? It doesn't even fit him anymore. How could they go through the whole completely necessary, by the way, process of refreshing this guy and not change the name when WWE's favorite thing to do is change names for no reason? They actually had a reason to change it here and they still didn't. It's atrocious. How is a guy named Madcap ever going to become anything? Look, I think most people, me included, when it started, just don't didn't know and don't know what Madcap means. And look, it's it's a catchy name. I would have changed it just because Riddick Moss is a pretty sweet freaking name. Of course, I would have gone back to that. And it fits his look if he's going to be serious and stuff like that. But I, I did see some people on Twitter 
uh, saying that they're glad he kept the name because it, it, it's it is memorable. It's not it's not just like Jonathan Blank and they took out the first name or something like that. Like it, it is it is a descriptor. Uh, I would have changed it though back to Riddick Moss because Riddick is a freaking sweet name. But he got over with Madcap. He didn't get over with Moss. He got over with Madcap, and I kind of understand why they kept it, even if he's not technically Madcap anymore, as if anybody knew what that meant. It's just it's it'd be, it would be like continuing to call Baron Corbin Constable Corbin, or now continuing to call him Happy Corbin when he comes back, and it's going to be a new gimmick. They've changed Corbin's name a million times. Why can't they change Moss's name? Powerhouse, yeah, I mean, like you have Powerhouse Hobbs, right? Like a name like that. Why can't you call him Descriptors? Another different descriptor, Corbin. I mean, uh, Moss. I don't get it. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, I, I agree. All right. So let's get to the match. They went right to the stage after the bell. And then they went right to the announce table after that. Moss threw a desk chair right at Corbin's dome and then put him into the steel steps. The crowd chanted for tables and Corbin pretended to get one only to smile and close the ring apron like an asshole. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was so funny. Uh, Corbin on the apron chokeslammed Moss inside the ring. Corbin killed Moss with a chair, but Moss caught him with a drop toe hold onto a chair. Corbin hit a deep six for a near fall, then grabbed another chair under the ring to booze as he kept teasing them. Uh, He set it up in the corner and Moss reversed him into it, then grabbed another chair and wore his ass out with it. Moss DDT'd Corbin into the chair for a 2.5 then speared him in the corner twice and pounced him out of the ring. Corbin chop blocked Moss while he was running at ringside, then wrapped a chair around his neck and drove the legs of the chair into the announce table. It was a pretty gnarly spot. Corbin put the base of the steps in the corner of the ring, but Moss escaped the powerbomb and he did a fallaway slam on Corbin into the steps. Then he hit the punchline, wrapped a chair around Corbin's neck and crushed it with the steps in a Brian Pillman spot for the win in 12 minutes. The only mistake in this entire match was not calling an audible and grabbing a table. But that's Mm -hmm. the inexperience of Moss and probably WWE wanting the guys to stick to the plan. So this was a very solid no-holds-barred match with some really good individual spots and the right person won. It's exactly what it needed to be. Corbin gets time off. Hopefully he gets rid of Happy after a full year. All they need to do is fix Madcap Moss's name make it something else Moss, and I'm going to be happy. I went 3.5 stars and a B. I just was very pleased. I was shockingly pleased with the quality of this match. This was great. It might have been the best match, at least the most interesting match of Corbin's main roster run. I mean, it was properly physical. It felt like a blood feud. It felt like two guys who were super pissed off at each other which is exactly what wrestling is supposed to be. This is the kind of Corbin that I've wanted to see forever. He's always like in these sarcastic feuds, talking down to people instead of being like actually mad at somebody with somebody actually mad at him. And and it feels like an intense fight. That's what this felt like. It felt like a fight. We don't get that enough with, with Corbin. And Moss matched it as well. This was really good. I don't want to see it. Ever again, I want these two to be done with each other now. But this was a great way for a story that went on too long, like every Corbin story. This might be the most fulfilling, hopefully, end to a Corbin story that we've ever had. It, <laughs> it, it was it, it was properly it was a it was a good final stamp on something here. 
And I think everybody's better for it. I think hopefully they they learn what they can do with these people instead of doing the same stuff with Corbin. So this was pleasantly surprising. This was the thing, obviously, we were all looking forward to the least. I enjoyed the hell out of this. Credit to both of the guys involved. They put on a hell of a match. They absolutely did. And that is the instant analysis of WWE Hell in a Cell, which means it is time for us to give our post-show grades. Now, Chris, we normally go with the listener grades first, but I don't think we should do that. I'm very curious the way you and I break this match down or this match, this card down from a grading perspective. And then I want to go with the listener grades at the end. I always allow you to go first. So what is your final grade for WWE Hell in a Cell? Allow me to remind everyone, you and I were at B's entering the show and the listeners getting overheads, our followers on Twitter, were at a B minus as your pre-show expectation grade. So with that, Chris, what is your final grade of Hell in a Cell? I I am, I'm a little torn here in a way that I did not expect to be torn. Okay, break it down. I figured best case scenario, you maybe get into the A minus range if everything is great. Everything is really solid. And that's what we got. You notice we went through this card. We loved every single match on the card. There was nothing that felt like a waste of time. Everything was good. Every so match, thinking, every every individual match grade that I gave was between five and three. There was no C's yeah. on the whole show. Everything did nothing felt like it was not worth. I was engaged as if you were the whole time. But it doesn't have a world title. <coughs> doesn't have a world title match or a change or something like that that you typically need for it to get into that A range type of show. One of those big kind of you, you expect it's usually around the world title match. And then Cody pulled off his jacket to reveal that. <laughs> and we ended up with a moment. We ended up with a five star match. We ended up with one of the most compelling match stories we've had in a long time. And somehow I can't believe I'm saying this and it might be a little bit here the moment. Mm hmm. I'm going to give this an A show. Wow. Okay. I'm giving it an A. Okay. How about you? So I think everything you said is accurate. Um, it's a good evaluation. You know, if I averaged out my match grades, uh, let's say I had a five, a four, something between a four, seven, five and a four, five, I'd have to go back and, and confirm it. 4.25, a 3.75, a 3.5, a 3.25 and a three. I basically had every single possible grade that you could give in between the five and three. I hit the whole thing. Um, and that definitely averages out to an A or the A range. There's no question about it. But I do think the bottom half of the card was a little bit too weak from a. So the storytelling was good, but the match importance was only so much, right? Like the the there were two great matches on the show from a storytelling perspective, from a booking perspective. Uh, that was the main event and the opener. Everything else on the show was kind of like a match that you totally could have seen on Raw, but was put on a pay-per-view and over-delivered. We got a better match on the pay-per-view than we would have with the equivalent match happening on Raw. So I'm definitely in the A range, but I think I need to be at like A minus. It's splitting hairs. Um... You know, just like I said with the women's match where I gave a number grade instead of a letter grade, 
I'm probably at like a 93, 94 out of 100. So right on the border of very low A, very high A minus. But you're splitting hairs, I think, when you get to that point. This was an A pay-per-view, like the A level, right? It, it was a, um, you're getting, uh, I'm trying to think for a GPA standpoint. I don't think for GPA, they give you uh, parts of points, do they? Like uh, you get a 4.0 in a class or a 3.0 in a class, right? So this no, was an you A. Get, you get you get 0.5s and stuff like that in, in, in college. You get 0.5s I thought that's only when it averages, I thought. Like I thought an A is um, a 4 in college. Like anything in the A range is a 4. Anything in the, I, oh, it's been maybe. so long since I've been in college. It has been so long. We're so I old. forget. I think it just averages out. I know, I know in, in high school with AP classes, you get all those extra points, but all right, regardless, let me get away from the actual, uh, the, the college grading. I don't even mean to get into that. I have my own scale. Um, this is, I'm giving it an A minus, a very, very, very high A minus. Um, I'm going to watch the show again, you know, over the next day or so. I'm definitely going to rewatch Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins tonight before I go to sleep. And I wouldn't be surprised if I'm at a full A by the time I do that. But right now I'm at A minus. You're at A. Um, which well, I think- one other thing, one go thing ahead. I will respond to you, and, and it is regarding that bottom half of the card where you are right. These are matches you could see on Raw, but and this is why this is why this mattered so much to more me than Backlash was that t- tentatively it feels like we are done with Bobby Lashley and Omas. We are mm. done with Madcap and Corbin. Yes. We, un, unsure about Judgment Day and unsure about Not Drake, done but, with that. Not but, done with that. But we, we, we had stories end here. So, so, and they ended on good notes. That is, that is a factor in my grade. And what I think I gave Backlash a B. I did not care for Backlash because none of it mattered and we knew it was all going to con- top to bottom. None of it really mattered. Even the low card stuff on this card mattered because it seems like it is the end of the feud and 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 to me that was that was a factor as well that they ended these feuds on high notes and i think that was important to note i think whether you give it an a or an a minus whether you agree with me agree with you the point is it exceeded expectations massively Mm -hmm. massively Mm -hmm. like that like backlash exceeded expectations by a little this exceeded it by a lot and the listeners are getting overheads. Our followers on Twitter at Getting Overcast, they agreed. Uh, there's technically 14 minutes left on the poll while I'm reading it, but uh, 67% A, 29% B, 2.5% C, 1.2% D to F. If you graded this a D or an F, go F yourself, okay? There's no way. You can't. It's impossible. It's a troll grade. Um, so that averages out to an A minus. You know, the two thirds, basically an A, one third a B, that brings you to an A minus grade. And I think everyone being in agreement that this was an A show to whatever degree you believe it was an A show, that's really what matters. WWE went out once again with a card that seemed lackluster. We had hopes for it, but not necessarily the highest hopes. And somehow, once again, they completely overdelivered with a very, very worthwhile premium live event. And they got to get credit for that. It was a great show, and I am very much anticipating Raw on Monday night, mostly because of the Cody and Seth stuff, but I want to see what's going to happen with the women's championship picture. I have no idea what's going to go down. I want to see who steps up as the next United States championship challenger. What's going on with the entire tag team division? I have absolutely no idea. What's Kevin Owens going to do next? What's Bobby Lashley going to do next? Is there going to be a new member of Judgment Day? I actually want to watch Raw like more than I normally do, 
because they've ended a pay-per-view or a premium live event with enough intrigue to say, hey, go watch that product on Monday. And that's doing so, by the way, without a cliffhanger. Yes. And and we're moving into now what was supposed to be stadium season. This was supposed to be a stadium show for Money in the Bank. SummerSlam Stadium, Clash of the Castle, Saudi show. You know, we got through that post-WrestleMania period was a clear, obvious lull with a lot of things on the back burner, a lot of mid-card stuff leading pay-per-views and shows because they were trying to save it up for stadium summer, essentially. And so now's the time to move forward into that. You, you Like I said, you ended a, you ended a lot of stories on the show. You ended Lashley and Omas. You ended Cody and Seth. You ended, hopefully, Madcap and Corbin. Um, so now these feuds that have been going on for a while since WrestleMania, really all of those. Um, now this, this is the step into the next thing. And I'm curious to see what, what that is. Now I did post a bonus poll on our Twitter account, which I never do. I try not to compare WWE and AEW. And I hope that you haven't seen the results. Have you before I read this? No, I've not. Okay. So I asked very simply, what was the better show top to bottom? WWE Hell in a Cell or AEW Double or Nothing. And I did give a disclaimer. I said, please vote legitimately and without bias either way. Now, of course, you're still going to get bias. And yes, the results need to be considered that it's a WWE night. There was a WWE show tonight. People were searching the hashtag. So more WWE fans found it. There's no doubt about it. But I'm curious, number one, for you to answer that question. What was a better show top to bottom, Hell in a Cell or Double or Nothing? And then tell me what you think the percentage was, like uh, how how the voting uh, panned out. Well, I mean, I have to say I was clearly much more on Hell in a Cell because I gave it an A and I gave Double or Nothing, I think, a B minus. And right, same. The, the 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 reasoning was look, the reasoning was we didn't we got one title change on Double or Nothing. So there, 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 my biggest thing out of Double or Nothing was you gave us five hours. A lot of it was really nothing, and you didn't create moments. Outside the, of Anarchy in the Arena, Anarchy in the Arena was great. CM Punk winning the title was great. Outside of that, nothing else in the pay per view was memorable, really. And 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 so it was a lot of. I can't believe this is going on. I'm bored. I'm not engaged for several things that were going on. This was a three hour show where everything was kept tight, and. Everything was really good and exceeded expectations and matched the story being told. A lot of AEW did not have a good build to Double or Nothing either. Nope. And they and 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 they didn't and it didn't it didn't crescendo with the pay per view. A lot of those matches were way too damn long. And to, to me, Hell in a Cell was just a better show because it was shorter because it had eh, about the same amount of moments, but everything everything fit what it was supposed to be. Double or nothing felt like everything was trying to swing for the fences by giving everybody so much time in the world. And a lot of them fell short. And that takes away from it. Yep. Otherwise, I think WWE stayed within what it was going to be and nailed exactly what it was going to be. And that's why I end up with an A grade for Hell in a Cell and a a B minus for Double or Nothing because of what both of them were trying to position themselves as. Double or Nothing's positioning itself. It's basically... Double or Nothing is basically... AEW's WrestleMania. It's always in Vegas. You uh-huh. have the fan fest. You, 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 you do everything around it. It's not like it, it, it is their biggest show of the four, I think, generally. And it tried to be that 
and it fell way short of that. Way Hell in a Cell didn't Hell in a Cell didn't try to be a top top pay per view show. It tried to be a mid level pay per view, and it did exactly that. So I agree with that. I think um, a lot of the finishes, the booking, the decision making for Double or Nothing, that was also a huge part of the problem. With Hell in a Cell, we disagree. I disagreed with a couple of the decisions that were made, but they were minor. Like the person who got pinned in the women's championship match. And then mm -hmm. clearly they were planning to have Cody win. I just thought they should have changed that and had Seth win given the injury. But that was clearly the plan. And it still didn't detract from the quality of the match. Whereas in AEW, a lot of the, the finishes and the bookings for Double or Nothing fell way, way, way short of what I would consider positive or even for me, acceptable. And I criticized it as much. And I gave it a B minus just like you did, which you did not answer, Chris, is what you thought the percentages were on the poll oh. that I posted. Tell me what you guess it was. Again, take into consideration that it's a WWE night and more WWE fans probably answered. Although I did ask people to do it without bias. I'll say 60-40 in favor of Hell in a Cell is my guess. Hell in a Cell, 83%. Woo. Double or nothing, 17%. So I think it's fair to kind of bump both numbers 20% in terms of reality, right? Yeah. And I think it would probably, if, if I asked this like Tuesday night or something like that, I think it probably would be around, you know, 65, 35. But yeah, Hell in a Cell, for me, clearly the better show. I don't even think it's comparable in terms of just entertainment value and overall quality. You can talk about work rate. Work rate is only one element to a, quality match or a quality show. There's fan reaction. I think the crowds were relatively equal, you know, for both mm -hmm. Double or Nothing mm -hmm. and Hell in a Cell. And then there's booking, storytelling, uh, creative, all that type of stuff. And that is the area in which I feel WWE absolutely shined on Sunday night. And they gave us a Hell in a Cell. I, you know what? This is a show I'm going to remember. You know, a couple of years from now, I'm going to say, hey, you know what? I should watch Hell in a Cell 2022. I want to see that Cody match. And I, you know what? Since I'm going to turn it on, I'm going to watch the women's match as well. Yes. Th th that's what it comes down to in the end. It, it, it's for, for any show, what are you going to remember from it? That's why Backlash was nothing to me because there was nothing I cared to do. There was nothing I came out of it thinking, man, that was that we're going to be thinking about that forever. There was none of that. We're going to be thinking about Cody's torn pack forever. Forever. And th yep. that was, and it, look, undoubtedly that was not, it was not booked that way. It just happened to turn out that way. But that's, that's how it goes. You know, when, when I think about Double or Nothing, I'm going to think about Jericho Appreciation Society and CM Punk winning the match. I'm not going to think about anything else. I'm not going to think about the Owen Hart stuff. I'm not going to think about the women's matches. I'm not going to think about the Hardy's Bucks. Um, I'm probably not going to think about Wardlow MJF because it wasn't even a match. Right. It, it, it was, it was just, um, it it didn't it didn't meet what it was trying to meet. Hell in a Cell met exactly what it was was trying to meet, and Absolutely. and that is a credit to WWE has generally done a good job on these pay per views ever since the the Thunderdome. Really, you know, they keep these to three hour to three hours. Yep. They don't overload the cards. I just wish we could get some world title matches on these things. But other than that, they they they've got the pay per view recipe down. And by the way, for any first time listeners of this show, we this is not a show that compares WWE and AEW. That is not actually what we're about. It's just tough when there's two pay-per-views, premium live events in literally seven days apart from each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. That 
that one of them, I don't necessarily think Double or Nothing is a WrestleMania, like you said, but it is fair to call it a major show for them, especially given they usually only have four pay-per-views per year against the B show ahead of stadium season, what, what you're talking about, that doesn't have a world championship or tag team championship match on the card, only had two title matches with no title changes. Given the circumstances of all of this, it was worth comparison on this particular show because that's how much, for me at least, Helena Cell stood out. And we did feel like it was necessary to kind of go down that path here. Uh, so look, that is the WWE Helena Cell instant analysis. Let me please remind you that we have NXT in your house instant analysis on our podcast feed. Now that you're done listening to this, go ahead and listen to that. Also, CM Punk uh, out indefinitely, an instant reaction to that. Also on the podcast feed, all shows taped since Friday night. Three instant analysis reaction shows in as many days. Be sure to listen to them before wrestling begins this upcoming week. But when it does begin on Monday night with Raw, here is our schedule for next week. We will be back on Tuesday with our latest WWE episode. There's a ton still to talk about from SmackDown, along with everything that happens on Raw on the first show after Hell in a Cell as the build begins for WWE Money in the Bank in exactly one month's time. And then we will be back on Thursday talking all things AEW. There's a lot of stuff that happened on Rampage along with Dynamite as the company begins or continues, I should say, building for the Forbidden Door pay-per-view with New Japan at the end of the month. This was an awesome show. Thank you once again to Vintage Chris Benini for joining me. Before we get out of here, I do need to remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Let everyone know why you listen and subscribe to the show. And please give them reasons to do so as well. The reviews, the ratings, they help us oh so much. Please, please, please leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. That's how you can participate in the polls that we reference now three times on this particular show. You can also join our live audio shows ahead of premium live events and pay-per-views on Twitter spaces, and we tweet live during every major American show. Thank you all so much for listening to the WWE Hell in a Cell Instant Analysis Edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I will see you on Tuesday and then Thursday. But at this time, the Silver King is going to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now. <laughs>